What a precious message. I wrote the words, he is where your new story begins. Love that, how that, that piece closes. I want to add something to that, but it's not where it ends. Our story begins with Christ, but our story doesn't end there when new beginnings come. Christmas is so enchanting. I, I love it. I, I know so many of you do. The, the lights, the trees, the Christmas carols, just singing or hearing the saxophone, the trumpet play, oh, come all you faithful. They just spark something in us that is like, man, you know, we don't, we don't see it all, feel it all year round, and then here it comes in the season. There's a little nip in the air, even in Florida and all that. And uh, even the Christmas story, um, Lo, there were shepherds abiding in the field. And as soon as you start to hear that, there's something warm that comes over you. And, and the angels, and they come and sing. And there's a new birth. And, and we just love that. But there's also truth that follows that enchanting story of birth. There's truth that Jesus lived a hard life. There's truth that his birth wasn't all there was. It wasn't just a story of this enchanting uh, poor mom and dad who gave birth to the Savior of the world and, and, and everyone came and worshipped and, and whatnot. And it's the same for our lives. There, when you think about the birth of a child, it's such a, it's such a miraculous time and enchanting time. And I remember when our first child was born, I was nervous. I, as dads usually are, you're, I got very philosophical. I'm going to be a father now and all that stuff. You don't know what you're doing. You just feel like you should be more serious or something. And then, you know, you're holding the fort and, and the camcorder. Um, and, you know, the child comes and I, I just wet the baby and, um, you know, uh, broke down. And then we, uh, in the joy of that moment, I remember the doctor coming in and saying, um, your son needs a procedure. Uh, he's going to have to have surgery. And in that moment, it's like, wow. You know, if I said the word buzzkill, it sounds funny, right? But it was. It killed, it killed that enchant, enchanting feeling. Like, oh, okay, wow, that's reality. And then after that, you go home, and then you're sleeping two hours at night. That's reality. <laughs> and you start changing diapers, and that's reality. And then they get old enough to walk, and then they bonk their head on everything you own, and that's reality. And now they're seven and eight, and gosh, will they ever have a day where they don't feud and fight? And that's reality. And some of you are mothers and fathers are of teenagers, and... That's reality. <laughs> Some of you are empty nesters. That's reality. You see, that birth is just a beginning. And when Christ gives us new spiritual birth, what he's saying to us is, yeah, that's exciting. When someone comes to Christ, it's exciting. But the truth of the matter is that's just the beginning. I hear sometimes... Um, people in church when we have an event and people come to Christ and you'll hear this statement, yeah, that's what it's all about. And inwardly I'm like, no, that's not what it's all about. Of course, we're, we're happy when people come to a place in their life where they recognize in that moment that they themselves cannot win the favor of God, that they themselves no longer are good enough no matter how good they, they are, in comparison to anyone else in the world, they are never good enough to win heaven. And in that moment, they say, Oh, Christ, I need you. And what a moment. I love to be around people that have just given their life to Christ and say, No longer me, but Christ. And it's like, Oh, that's awesome. I've got some hard news for you. It's just the beginning. Because that's not all that's it. That's not it. In fact, in the book of Philippians in the New Testament, here's what we, here's what we hear. Paul, the writer of this, these words, says, I always pray with joy speaking to these new believers because of your partnership in the gospel. When? From the first day, from your birthday, your spiritual birthday, now, until now. 
being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. That's God's absolute goal. Let me give you a picture, because you know, I, I, I say a million times, I believe that the, the Bible is a great picture book. You may know, uh, most of you know the story of the Israelites and the very beginning of their history. They were captive in the land of Egypt, and God said, I'm going to move you out. I'm going to move you into a land of milk and honey, flowing with milk and honey, the promised land as it's come, be, have come to know. And so uh, when you look at that picture and do an aerial shot of it, it represents for us moving from our old life, leaving the things behind in the in Egypt, and they cross through the Red Sea. It's like, okay, I'm going to cross through this intersection and leave it all behind, and then I'm going to cross over the Jordan River, which is a representation of like our baptism, and we're going into something new. You get the picture how, how clear that is and simple that is? But if you remember the story, before they crossed into the promised land, they sent spies into the land. And these spies came back, and a couple of them were on fire because they knew God could do anything. They said, hey, this is no, no problem. But all 12 of the spies learned that there were giants already living in the land. So when they crossed over into the promised land, the picture of us coming to Christ, the picture of our birth, here's the message. There were giants who were already there. When we come to Christ, we have giants. You see, the scripture tells us that all things have become new, but all things have not changed yet. Now, I came to Christ when I was in my 20s. I promise you, I didn't change overnight. I came to Christ, my perspective was new, everything was new. In fact, Colossians 3 says it this way, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed. It's not totally renewed. It's not completely renewed. The, the renewal is not in completion yet. It won't happen until you take your last breath, by the way. Bad news. But we are going in this process. We're living in this process of being renewed, which is being renewed in the knowledge, uh, in the image of its creator. I brought a little diagram here for you to, to speak. We're, we are made up of spirit, soul, and body. When we come to Christ, the scripture tells us that our spirit comes alive. We're born a second time, Jesus said. But then who we really are, our soul, which is our emotions, which is our feeler, our mind, which is our thinker, our choices, our will, which is our chooser, our picker, the things that we pick and choose to do. And then we have a body. Now, there's always... There's always uh, fancy names for simple things, and even the Scripture uses fancy names. When we come to Christ, we call that justification. That means um, that God and, and Christ died for us, and, and we are justified before God because of what he did on the cross. But we're being in this process of renewal. That word is sanctification, which we're going to get to. And then when we go to heaven and lose this old body, which I'm, I'm looking forward to, by the way, we call it glorification. Now, there will be a pop quiz on those three words after the service. Here's the point. The point is that we are in progress, but when we come to Christ and our spirit is alive, it's quickened, it comes to life, we still have these cracks in our heart, in our emotions, in our minds, the way we think, the things that we still choose to do. And they don't go away the first day that we come to Christ. John 3, 6 says this, flesh gives birth to flesh. In other words, women give birth to babies, but the spirit gives um, birth to our spirit. Now watch, if you don't get this, what will happen to you is you will have a lot of moments of, what is wrong with me? I've come to Christ. All things are new. What, where did these giants come from? My proposal to you is those giants were already in the land before you came to Christ, before you crossed over. It's important to realize that God is all about 
that after you come to Christ. If you have not made that decision, if you have not said, Oh, Christ, I need you, then I will promise you that God is all about that because he is not a self-help being. It's not like he's going to try to clean your act up and now you're ready for him. Give up. You'll never be that way. When I came to Christ, I brought in my luggage. I brought in my baggage. In fact, this past weekend, somebody had given us some points at their timeshare in Orlando. That's where my wife and family and I um, and my boys went to on vacation. And I mean, this place was beautiful. It was called the Presidential Suite, in fact. I'm like, okay, this is going to be better than the Motel 6 we stayed in last time. <laughs> and so we walk in, and it's just, it was just beautiful. They had a couple of bedrooms and a dining. Mean, it looked like an apartment. Our youngest boy, who's seven, he's running around the whole place going, we're rich, we're rich. We're like, what is wrong with you? It's only lasting three days and it's all over. <laughs> you see, we come into, and, and I stood there as he was, you know, running around. I'm standing there and I'm holding baggage of my life. I'm holding my flip-flops, which are really old. I'm holding bags from my dirty laundry here. I'm holding my computer, which has a good things and some not so good things. Some good letters, some not so good letters. And I was sitting there, isn't that a picture? When we come to Christ, woo, we're rich, we're excited, we serve a God who saves, but we all know, ah, oh, man, I got baggage. And here's what happens, see. We address the baggage. We address the behavior without getting down to slaying the giants and healing the brokenness. I believe that church makes that huge mistake. Stop it. Quit doing that. Start doing that. And you're thinking, okay, okay, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. But at the root of some of those things, the trajectory, there lies some giants. There lies some brokenness where God wants to meet us. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Now there, there's, a, there's one of those words. Let's break it down. You may, if you came from a formal church, we've sung sanctus, sanctus, sanctus. It comes, the derivative of that word is holy. So when he's saying, now may the God of peace himself make you holy, you think, wow, I'm not sure I, I feel all that holy. But he's saying pure, whole, with a W, W-H-O-L-E, whole. And something that's broken, and it's going to be whole. You know what it requires? Healing. It requires mending. It requires nurturing. It requires coddling. It requires care. It doesn't always require merely truth. You see, preachers think, I just tell you the truth, take the truth, get your act together, start behaving right, see you next Sunday, and give a lot of money. I'll see you. And deep inwardly, God is saying, oh, gosh, it's so much deeper than that. There are some giants in the land. There's some brokenness that needs healing and mending. So when Christ comes to earth, watch this. He walks into the temple as a young uh, boy, and he begins to read some scripture. And of all the verses that he could read, of all the scripture passages that he could have chosen, of all the Hebrew writings that he could have chose, he chose this one. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the broken hearted. 
Oh God, thank you for who Christ was. You see, he just didn't say, I came to get them saved. I came to get them in heaven. That's my main goal. 1,500 people came to Christ. No, I came to do something deeper. I came to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives in Egypt and release from darkness for the, and, re, and, and release from darkness for the prisoners. See, that's where God is about. So over the course of the past month or so, we've been talking about trajectory. There have been some very challenging and tough conversations that we've had, things that Jesus has pointed out to us, like greed, which is the love of money is the root, the beginning of all evil. We've talked about conversations of how our words can take us into such a trajectory that it demolishes people's character. We've talked about a number of things that are tough. Today, I know I'm going to hit a nerve because this trajectory causes grown men to cry. It's a trajectory that I think that is not only deep, it's soul deep because it addresses some of the cracks that we have in our soul that Jesus would say when he comes, I came to, to mend the brokenhearted. I don't think that many of us um, will escape this trajectory. I want to show you a chart. Here's a, here, here's a, a chart. Let's suppose this is an iceberg. Uh, it's the best I could do, sorry. <laughs> and above the seawater, we see the tip of the iceberg. And above the, uh, and what we see is our behavior. That's all we see. I can't see your heart. I can't see your soul. I can't see your past. I can't see your, the brokenness. I can't see any of those. I can't see the things that are holding you, the things that would imprison you. I can't see any of that with my visible eye. All I can see is the outer layer of what causes that, the behavior. If you react, if you get angry, if you, if you um, are, are, are moody, if you pout, if, if you're flippant, all those things, that's all, that's all behavior. And Jesus said, here's the way we behave, only in three different relationships. We behave with God, we behave with other people, and we behave with ourselves. You you're in relationship with those three people. God said, love me with all your heart and everything you got. Love other people like you love yourself. It's okay to love yourself. Those are the three relational pieces. So you think, well, if you go down into the, if you go down to the iceberg, the next level, then you say, then what causes our behavior? Well, I'll tell you what causes our behavior. Our beliefs cause us our behavior. Now, let me break that down. Who's got a cup? Anybody got a coffee cup? You got one? All right, cool. All right. Here Let's say, coffee. all right. Hey, there's a little left. No, it's okay. <laughs> Let's say I, in this cup, I say to you, this cup contains acid that will burn your skin. Now, if I go to hand that to you, what are you going to do? I'm not going to take it. Not going to drink it. It's going to affect your behavior because you've believed what I said is in the cup. You see how our beliefs begin. Now, I believe it's coffee, so I'm going to knock it back because I, I like coffee, right? What I'm believing is changing my behavior. So then you go down to the next level. You say, okay, well, then what, what is it that, what causes us to believe? What causes us to believe is what we value to be true. If somebody says, hey, this is true, then we think, okay, I'm into that. You believe. You've, you've said, I value you, Steve. I trust that you're saying this is acid, and, um, and I'm not going to do it because you valued that to be true, which affected the way you believe, which affect your behavior. Are you with me? All right, we're in the classroom a little bit here, so hang with me. Now watch this. Here's the final thing. You know what affects, what causes you to believe what is true? It's rarely a what? It's usually a who. It's usually what you believe God thinks of you, what other people think of you, what your parents thought of you, what you think of you. 
Those are the giants in life. I was watching this show the other day, fascinating, the president's secret book. And they, you know, they would claim that there's this book that has all the secrets of the world who killed JFK and, you know, um, what's a Slurpee made of? I don't know, whatever the questions are in this book, right? And let's say you're thumbing, if you had the privilege of holding this book and you're thumbing through and it was showing different silos around the country, I'm like, wow, dude, I mean, there may be one right under your house. You never know it. You know, where all the head hot dogs go in the case of an emergency and the rest of us will be scrambling for the late, you know, the next Starbucks to get one more in before we die. I don't know, but they're, you know, they're going into silos and they're all over the place, you know. So you're looking at this and it's like, wow, I didn't know that fact. Well, that fact is not going to affect my behavior. Well, maybe I may move closer to a silo, but it's not going to affect my identity. It's not a giant. So when we find out facts and factoids and things and the what's of life, it's not those things that change us. It's the who's in our life that create our belief system of who God is, who we are, who others are, and that is the trajectory that causes our behavior to change. Are you with me? I know that's a little heavy, a little bit complicated, and it's just the way we are wired. I want you to think back for just a second. When you think of these words, Proverbs chapter 4, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. You see, when Jesus met a woman at the well, he didn't do like some of us preachers would do and say, you're living with somebody, stop it, it's not right. I can show you the verse, it's over here, watch, see it? That's a fact. You get it? Stop doing it. It's behavior, I don't like it. He says, um, why don't you go call your husband? Because that's a who in your life. And she goes, well, I, I, really, I really don't. He says, I know. You've had five. I get that. That's tough. That's been tough, hasn't it? He goes right down to the who level. Remember in, in, um, in the very beginning in the garden, and God comes along, and Adam's blown it. And he says, where are you? And he's looking for him, and Adam says, here I am. And he says, why'd you hide from me, Adam? He said, because I knew I was naked. You remember the first question he asked Adam? It's here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 11. He says, God says this, who? Who told you that you were naked? Who said that to you? Who changed your identity? It was a who, it wasn't a what. It wasn't just, whoa, I'm naked. Wow, that's life-changing. No, God is saying, who was it that made that impact in your life that wrecked the whole thing? The book of Job, these guys are just blocka, 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 wah, 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 like Charlie Brown's mother, wah, 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 and they're just saying all these things are just you know crazy. In the 38th chapter, after everybody's had their say-so, God shows up, and he says this in Job 38 and verse 1. He says, Who is it that darkens my knowledge with words without knowledge? Or my counsel with words without knowledge. Who is it? Who is it that has changed your perspective about God, about others, about yourself? It's a trajectory that we have to look at and say, Who formed your idea of God, of others, of yourself? Because that is why you behave like you behave. It's it's deep. It's heavy. It's very, very deep. The first relationship in the scriptures is between a father and a son. We think, oh, the first relationship is between a man and a wife. Many people say the first institution of of the Bible is marriage. No, watch. When you look in the book of Luke, and we're looking at the genealogy of how everything goes back, and Luke takes it all the way back to Adam, I want you to read the end of all this long list that seems boring. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. God gave birth, not to the capital S like Jesus, the son of God, but he gave birth to this this being, Adam. And there was this parental 
relationship that God had automatically, all right? Here's where I'm going to go today. After all that, let me get to the point. One of the most difficult, challenging examinations that we have in this lifetime is to take a hard look at who influenced us to think of God, others, and ourself. A parent, a brother, a sister, friends. But particularly, I want to ask about a father relationship. Some of you sitting in this room have had great fathers. The majority of people would say, man, that was a rough one. And for that reason, that trajectory makes it difficult to look at God as father. Somehow, that relationship between our dad and our heavenly dad is a broken place and it's a giant which ultimately affects behavior like unbelievable. Listen, 85%. Now, you know, anytime you throw a number like that, it's like, wow, what? 85% of men who are incarcerated in prison either had no dad, never knew him, was abandoned by their dad, or was a deadbeat dad, absent, barely there. 85% that person the who in our life affects who we are and sometimes we think some, some people sitting in this room are triggered right now because you're thinking gosh this is something I, I can think my mind is flooded with bad things and, and they're broken places and they're giants of things that happened in childhood that were that are rough, physically rough, mentally rough, emotionally rough, things that crack the soul. Christ comes to heal and mend those places. It doesn't happen overnight, but he comes to heal those places. Other of us, because I had a, my dad was a typical GI generation dad. He was a provider. My dad worked hard, 40 years, same job. Can't even remember dad missing a day of work. Drove 100 miles round trip every day for 40 years. I loved my father. I lost my dad about 10 years ago. I loved him. And in no way am I saying anything to dishonor him, but I will say to you, it wasn't with my dad the B things, the bad things. It would be more of the A things, the absent things. I never saw my father read the Bible, a page of it. My father never came in and said, can we pray? See, that GI generation, some of you are there. You know, you are institutionally driven and, and faithful and still are. Man, that is so honorable. We, I, I love that. We learn from that. But his father, I remember dad telling me stories of being beaten until the blood came down his legs. I remember dad telling me that when he came home from the army, after serving that he was sitting at a dinner table with guests around the table. And I, I forget what the reason, like my dad quit his job or something like that. And in front of the, the family guest, he said, I want you to pack your bags and get out of my house. My granddad, man, he was, he was old school. And that's who my father learned from. And that generation, at least for my dad, were, there were... There were Rarely, if ever, my mom and I were talking about this the other day, rarely moments of one-to-one. -one. I didn't know what small circle was like. And I'm being transparent with you today about my life because I want you to know that it's real. I want you to, I want, I'm hoping that you're saying, wow, I get that. I get that. Now, some of you had great dads thinking, 
Whew, I had it awesome. You had the A plus, Dad. That's, in, that's incredible. Here's what I'm learning as a father. Here's what I'm learning. My, my wife is reading a, a great book. I think it's called something like, if I have to tell you one more time. <laughs> and after all that we're talking about small circle within the church, here's the bottom line suggestion. Take at least, discipline yourself at least two times a day with each child and have 10 minute, 10 minute segments just alone. I got to tell you what, it is the most incredible behavior change we have seen in our children. Nobody else around. Let's go and take a walk. Let's sit out in the back. Let's have time. Because quite frankly, I don't know about you, but I didn't have that. And guess what? It affected my behavior. You see, when your kids are out of kilter, and they're going nuts and they're off the chart. What they may be doing is screaming, would you please love me because I crave intimacy. And when we're behaving in such a way that comes out in habits and horrors, when we're behaving in such a way that comes out in addictions, and, and when we can't believe that God would have anything to do with us, it comes from somewhere. It just doesn't come from nowhere. There is a trajectory that if you look down deep, it's where it's all about. A word of hope. Trajectory course. Let me, let me just say quickly. For the church, here's a trajectory course. Um, it is not unusual for me that when you, if you're thumbing through the Old Testament, book after book, after book, after book. And you come to the last book, which is the book of Malachi. There are four chapters. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. And you're going down through all the, the verses, and you come to the very last verse of the Old Testament. The last thing before we go radio silence for 400 years, here's what it says. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah, talking about the future, before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, when Christ comes again. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. My word, that the last thing that God would say, he sees it. If you're sitting there today, and I know it doesn't apply across the room 100%, but if you're sitting there today and say, wow, that just hits a trajectory that's deep within my soul, I want you to know that God sees it. God knows it, and Christ can mend it. That's the word of hope that we're given. Now watch. The New Testament begins after 400 years of silence. And now John the Baptist is going to prepare a way for Christ. An angel comes to John's dad and says this in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, and he will, John the Baptist, will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, last verse of the Old Testament, and turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Wow! Whoo! Pow! It's got to hit us in the face. <laughs> Of all the things that God could say when he closed this, this Old Testament and when he opened this New Testament, there's something there that God knows that's in the depth of our hearts. Something that he knows. Now, for the church, I'm going to get over this one quickly. For the church, we say, okay, what can we do to make a course correction? I'm, I'm going to read from Jeremiah 23 and verse 1. And if there is the mark of a two-by-four across my face, it comes from me studying this passage this week from God. It begins this way. Woe to the pastors. Okay, I'm in the, that's awesome. <laughs> that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, 
against the pastors that feed my people. Now, he's okay with us feeding, right? He's okay with us preaching the word. They're, they're doing that job. They are feeding the flock. They are presenting truth. So why is the woe? You have scattered my flock and driven them away and not cared for them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doing, says the Lord, and I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them, and I will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase, and I will set up other shepherds over them, which will tend to them, and they shall fear no more, they should nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Here's the deal. God is looking to us as leaders of the church, as shepherds. Now, it's not just pastors. Sorry, bad news. We're, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. We're the ones that reach out to each other. And he's saying it's not just about feeding people. You've got to give a rip. That's my version of it. <laughs> you got to care. You got to tend. You got to nurture. You've got to be Mm, small circle. That's the hard stuff. When I look at these words, it's, it's, it's just amazing here. These words say it this way. Watch. When it says, um, fear no more. Well, fear, we think, comes from a lack of faith. No, fear comes from lack of love. I, I know that because 1 John 4 says it this way. There is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. When we love people, I mean, really love them. I mean, know their name at least, and then know their life. Don't hand out a, pee, a cup of coffee. Go have some coffee. Does that make sense? And when we love people and get to know them and grow small circle, it's right there. And God is saying, if you don't do it, by golly, I'm going to rip them up, and I'm going to take them to somebody that will care because I love my people and they're brokenhearted, and this is why Christ came, and I'm slightly passionate about it. <laughs> and I'm slightly passionate about it. I'm very passionate about it because I've been one of those pastors for years that has said, okay, I'm just going to preach the word because that's what they taught us. It's not all that. You're in a small group. It's not all about the questions. You get that, right? It's about looking who is in your group and getting to know them and getting to know their cracks and their broken places so that you might have the privilege of being playing a part. You know what these words say? If we can go back to Jeremiah 23, if you look at the very end of it, fear no more, be dismayed. You know what the word, the, 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 the feel of that in the original language is this, that, that no one is there anymore. It's like a child. I want you to picture a child in a, in a sh shopping mall. and <gasps> Where's mom and dad? That's what that means. That some of you would carry some brokenness in your heart, some cracked places in your soul, and to think, oh, I'm lost. And no, and nobody knows because then the word lacking, neither shall they be lacking. Some versions say missing. I'm missing. I'm broken. I got this stuff inside, and nobody cares. We're just, we're just doing church. And I'm here to say as a church, let's change that. Let's change that. Let's change that. Let's change that. And it's going to take some hard things to change that. Some things that we've done. I've said it a couple weeks ago. It's not just handing out stuff. It's taking it in your hands to somebody. It's not dropping off a turkey. It's coming in and having turkey. It's not just saying howdy-do on, on Sunday. It's embracing people, you see? And that's tough for us. We're busy. We're overloaded. We don't have time. And I think our enemy loves that. There is no time for mending. But that's exactly what Christ calls us to. Now today, if you're sitting there and saying, gosh, you know what, that's me. 
I've got a couple words to say to you. And these are deeper things, and I recognize that I'm going to give you a sound bite. And I generally don't care for sound bites for giants. Because giants sometimes take a while to slay. And broken hearts take time to heal. So don't, please don't misjudge these as quick and easy answers. Um, but I want to say to you this. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase for time. There's a story in the Old Testament, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, um, when he was born, they named him Jacob, which means the deceiver. Hey, thanks. It's <laughs> awesome. You know, I wonder, do they make a coffee cup with that on there, you know? I think Stephen means king, you know, right next to Jacob, deceiver. Hey, I'll get that one. That's, you know, honestly. He was loved differently by his parents. His father loved his brother Esau more. It affected his behavior. He had a name. He was born into the world with a name. He was born to a father, his twin brother, actually. He was born to a father that loved his brother more than he loved him. Wow, that's tough. What really makes it tough when it comes off the page is I personally know people sitting in this room that would say, that was my dad, man. He loved my brother more than he loved me. And it's hard as a parent. We, we know that as parents. It's hard to be the equal, you know, across the board, and you're trying, to, you're trying your best. So if you're sitting there as a parent, thinking, ah, I probably blew it on that one. Hey, I know we have at times as well. I get it. But it happens, and it's life. And Jacob ends up ripping off his brother, his behavior, and his whole motive in it. I'm going to bring up, if you can skip, his whole motive, because his mother kind of set it up. In Genesis chapter 27, in verse 9 and 10, his mother said this, Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father, just the way he likes it, just the way your brother makes it, by the way. And then take it to your father so that he, so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. I'm telling you what, this kid, that's what he looked for his whole life. And when our dads, when they're absent in our life, we're looking, we're craving intimacy. That's why Christ, when he was baptized, heard from the Father in heaven saying, this is my son, I love him, I bless him. And Christ then could say, wow, dad is behind me. And when that's missing, I promise you we will seek that blessing somewhere. And so he, he, he did his deal, he stole from his brother, he ripped him off, and then his brother was going to kill him. It's a wonderful story, it's a beautiful Christmas story. <laughs> And he went and lived with some relatives. Great place to go. And that, I mean, you think you can run from one broken place to another. You can't. And that got screwed up. My version. And he could have, he was successful in what he did. And he could have left it right there. So listen to what I'm going to say. Because it's going to be tough for some of you. Here's what God said to him in Genesis chapter 30 and verse 43. He says that the Lord said to Jacob, after a long time of separation, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Here's my first message to you. Some of you are sitting here, great dads. I'm going to guess that many of you are like, man, it was tough. Never had any intimacy. My dad's, he's gone. 
I can't go back. Some of you, it would be unsafe to go back. Some of you, it would not be the right time to go back. But you can take a journey in your heart and go back. It is so important for you to go back and say, I give that to you, God. I'm, if I'm carrying bitterness in that bottom part of that trajectory, I forgive my dad. And understand that he probably did what his dad did and his dad did and his dad did. And forgiveness will break the chain. Not going back and telling them off. Not going back and setting them straight. Or in the case of my dad, hey, how come you weren't there for me, man? Or even screaming at the heaven hoping he hears it. Not it. Dad, you were broken like I'm broken like my children are broken, and I get it, and I'm reconciling all that through the cross of Christ, and I'm going to be released from carrying that around. It's critical. It's critical. Don't carry it around. It will affect who you are. If you're, a, if you're in an addiction, look deep at that trajectory. If you have habits, if you don't know how to be intimate with your wife in conversation or with others or with other men, how rampant is that? How tough is it for other guys to, to get to each other and say, man, how you, how you doing? How you feeling? How'd that make you feel? Women are a lot better, let's just be honest, right? Guys are like, hey, how about them bucks? You know what I'm talking about? You know, That's easy for us. Go back. And finally, I want to say this to you. God, from the beginning, has always wanted to be your father. And regardless of what the trajectory of your life has caused you to think of him, he is perfect. He's perfect. That means when you just screwed it up this week, his mercy is perfect. His love is perfect. If you're doubting, should I go back to him? Because when I went back to my dad, he got pretty... No. God is perfect. Well, my dad was a bit moody. God's not. I saw my father hit my mother. God doesn't. He abused me in a way that I can't even say it. God won't. My dad abandoned us. God will never hold those things to be true. Reconcile. Go back like Jacob in your heart and say, it's, I, I give it up. And recognize that God is a healer. He's perfect in his fatherhood tough message for some of you, I know, but it's a message for our church to recognize that there are a lot of hurting people around us. Don't let go of the fact that you're called to be a mender. A mender. Father, thank you. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, for the truth of your word and that you care enough not just to bring us into a new relationship with Christ, but to begin to make us whole, to begin to heal, to begin to mend. And thank you, God, that you've known us from the womb. Thank you, God, that you've known us. Every, every fracture of our heart you know. God, I always I come to this place and on behalf of your church, God, I, I, I always have this sense of saying to you, God, I'm sorry, speaking for your church, your shepherds, of saying, God, oh, we've done a, a decent job at feeding. But have we cared in a way that you care? 
Have we mended in a way that you've called us to mend? God, we're ready to course correct our trajectory of playing church and being menders and beginning to play the role of a mender. And that will require for us to learn a name, to learn a life, to go deeper. I pray, God, for those in this room who are parents. Particularly, I want to pray today, God, for those of us who are fathers. We bring into the equation our own imperfections, how we saw our own dads do it. I pray, God, you would just shake us and help us, God, not to be absent, to be present, not to be moody, but be consistent, to be fair, God, to represent who you are. And for the sake of Christ, for the sake of our children, God, to lay down our pencils and our laptops and our hammers or whatever our trade is and be small circle with our kids. I pray, God, for those today who would say, man, I got it. I know exactly what you're looking at and talking about here. And there are some fractures in my heart that, that are just... That, that come from a long place. I pray, Father, that you would just make yourself known to them and known that you are the perfect Father and that healing would take place. I pray, Father, for those who are looking for Christ that would say, I want Christ in my life. And I pray, Father, that you would just, you would bring healing today because you are able, like no one else. We ask these things for Christ's sake and in his name. Amen.